Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. How are you guys? You doing good? Yeah. Yeah, you know what the truth is? Is you're doing so much better than, than sometimes we even realize. Um, because sometimes we'll let everything but Him tell us how we're doing. Sometimes we'll let our our circumstances, we'll let relationships, we'll let disappointments or, or things that we perceive as failures, we'll let people around us and their opinions, we'll let our own opinion even. You know, it says that, that, that we shouldn't exalt our own knowledge above the knowledge of God. And a lot of times we think it's humility and what we're actually doing is exalting what we believe over what He believes because we say things about ourselves and about our, our, our situation that He would never say. We call ourselves names He would never give Himself license to call us. And we think that it's being humble and all we're doing actually is exalting our knowledge above Him as if there's something we know about ourselves that He doesn't know about us. That He would say those things ever about us. Just be real careful that you don't let things come out of your mouth that He would never have in His. Never let anything label you. Never let anything be something that defines you that He would never let be something that labels or defines you. It sounds so humble to say things about ourselves and call ourselves these names and put ourselves down. The truth of the matter is, is that it's in violation of what Jesus said about us because He said now to Him who is able to present you before the Father, blameless, holy, upright, beyond reproach. That's who you are. He says, don't you know that you are a, a temple of God and that His temple is holy and that is what you are. That's what His Word says about you. It's not humble to call yourself less than what God calls you. It's arrogance. Because you're saying there's something I know that you didn't know, Father. When you wrote that in your word, yeah, yeah I, I, I know. You mean that for everybody else. But you didn't know the mistakes I would make. You didn't know the decisions that I would make. You didn't know the things that I would do, the thoughts that I would have, the actions that I would make. You didn't know that, God, or you wouldn't have said that about me. And the whole time, he's just saying, I've already spoken about you. There's nothing you could do that's going to change what I've said. And, and no more than a, than a, than a, than a madman that C.S. Lewis said, writing darkness on the walls erases the sun. Could our thoughts and opinions erase the Word of God over our lives? Yeah. Remember when he's talking to Peter? Remember Peter's on the rooftop and he's, he's up there. I don't know what he was doing, but he went into a trance. I know that would really freak us out nowadays, right? <laughs> It's a good thing that God stopped doing stuff like that with the, with the Bible. Otherwise, we might have some weird things that have no explanation for him. But he's on the rooftop. He goes into a trance. And he starts to see all these things coming down from heaven on a blanket. And, and God says, arise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, I'm not going to eat that. I'm paraphrasing. This is the Roy International Version. He says, I'm not going to eat that because that stuff's not clean. And God's looking at him thinking, who do you think I am? I can just see the Father in heaven saying, well, do you think you have information I don't? Are you forgetting that I, before the Word, I was? That if anything is unclean, it's because I said it was unclean, and if I'm telling you to eat, then something must have changed. You realize that if you have a Word from God and then God speaks something different to you, don't try to correct Him with what He said before. It just means that things have changed. And if you're not careful, you'll hear one word and you'll live on that when he's trying to tell you to do something else. It's a good thing Abraham didn't do that or Isaac would have been dead on the altar because he told Abraham, I want you to go up and I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And then he said, stop. 
it's awesome to hear a word from God and to go after it, but it's also really important that in the, in the chasing and pursuing the word that he's given you, your ears are open and you're listening for the next word that proceeds from his mouth because you don't live by bread alone. That's why they couldn't store manna. Yesterday's manna is not what you need to eat today. Today you need to hear what God's saying today. Otherwise, Isaac's dead on the altar and Abraham has one heck of a fight when he gets home. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he didn't tell her before he left, I think. (laughs) Listen, no, there will be times where God says things to you and it's wise to just keep it to yourself and to do what God's called you to do. Because otherwise you'd be tempted to be talked out of it by people around you that love you, have your best interest in mind, and it sounds so good, the things that they're saying, but they actually set themselves against the Word of God over your life. And to, to everybody but Noah, he looks crazy because Noah's the one that heard the voice. There are times in our lives where we're doing things that make no sense to anyone around us because we've heard the voice and they haven't. Because we've heard what God said and they haven't. So, Peter's on the rooftop and, and God says, arise, kill, and eat. And Peter tries to correct him. It's just so foolish. I know, you just think about that, right? Like, I know none of us would ever do that, but the people on the podcast... <laughs> The people on the podcast could be tempted to do this kind of stuff, so I'm talking just to them. But, but, but he, he tries to correct him as if there's something he knows that God doesn't. And he says, no, Lord, I won't. It's unclean. And what does he say to Peter? He says, listen to me. What I've called holy, let no man call unclean. And that's awesome when he's talking about bacon, pork, all that kind of stuff that he was talking about. And but here's the problem is that a lot of times we call unclean what God has called holy when we're talking about ourselves. Because His Word says, don't you know that you are a temple of God and that His temple is holy and that is what you are. You better read my mail or what? (laughs) (laughs) No, but He has, right? So, it's just as arrogant as it would be for Peter to correct the Father when He's telling him to arise and kill and eat. When it comes to unclean food, it's just as arrogant when God's called us holy to call ourselves unclean. To let, and he says, listen, what I've called holy, let no man. That means even you. That means even your own thoughts, your own mind, your own accusatory things. Those things that you think nobody knows but you. He knows and He still spoke that over you. Yeah. Let no man, no theology, no doctrine, no well-meaning Christian people that are coming along and giving you something that makes you feel better where you are, but doesn't actually give you truth. It's what you need. You need truth. The truth is the only thing that's promised to set you free. Good feelings will never set you free, but truth will. And so just be really careful that we don't offer something to people that makes them feel better at the expense of truth. Because if good feelings made everybody feel better, we'd all be feeling better. We'd all be doing better, but it's only the truth that sets us free. So, I was thinking about what Dylan said, and I have a message I might get to, we'll see. But I, I, uh, I know, I said we're going to start a series, we got one into it, but I, I promise we're still going to do it. Um, but I was, what Dylan said sparked something, uh, and it's something that we've talked about before, but it just, it really, that, the, the urgency of it, when he said, God will pass over a million people to get to you if you believe. And that sounds so weird to say, right? Like, that God would actually pass people over just to get to one person that believes, 
You know, because the word says that God's not a respecter of persons. And we've taken that and construed it to mean that God will do for everybody what he does for one person. And I don't think that's what it means. It means that God gives everybody the opportunity and then he does for the one who responds. And I think I have scripture that can back that up. So I'm just going to talk about this a little bit because I think one of the greatest challenges that we face in the church today is casual Christianity. Is where we're, 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 we're comfortable just kind of being around him but not actually grabbing a hold of him. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Mark chapter 5. I love the Gospel of Mark because it's just like, Mark didn't care about anything but the action when he was writing the book. It was like he just went from one miracle to another to another to this amazing, it's real action-packed. It's it's, Luke's is, is a lot more, coincidentally, Luke didn't walk with him, but Luke's is a lot more poetic. Luke's has a lot more information. It's a lot more flowery. John's is a lot more about the way he was loved and, and those kind of things. And Mark's is just like, here's the awesome things that Jesus did. So he says um, in verse, uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 25, he says, A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After, listen, if there's something that only God can do in your life, you can spend your life on everything but Him and it will not get better, it will only get worse. It's set up that way so that you never find an answer apart from Him. And the sooner we realize that, the less heartache we, 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 the heartache will save ourselves. Because if we'll ever get to a place where we don't have to hit rock bottom before we actually turn to Him, we'll actually avoid things and start living from glory to glory rather than from tragedy to tragedy the tragedy that's not his will it's not his plan he said i know the plans i have for you plans to bless you not to harm you right the main we we focus so much on the on the fact that he says bless and prosper and give you peace and expect it and the truth of the matter is the most amazing part of that verse to me is this that he said i know the plans i have for you meaning i have a plan for you and i know what it is it's not on my end god's not on his end sitting up there going well i wonder what i want to do with his life but there is something on my end that's required And to just think, well, if God wants it to happen in my life, it's going to happen. This scripture right here, I believe, negates that so beautifully. And it's not to like put us in a place of feeling like we have to strive for something. It's actually an invitation into what's available to us if we would just believe. And so he says, it says, uh, she had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came into the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeded, that the power proceeding from him had gone forth. What is that saying? It's the power that proceeded from him had gone forth. In other words, he's always got power proceeding out of him. It's like that time where I had a vision of him. I woke up in bed, sitting straight up. I don't know if it was a vision or a dream or what. I don't need to label it. It was awesome. And, and I was in this cityscape scene, and, and I'm looking, walking, and everything disappears, and it just looks like a dry, arid desert. And I see a form of a person way far away on a sand dune, standing there with his face about three-quarters turned away from me. And I started walking towards him because I was just drawn to him. And as I got closer and closer, I could see his robe. And it was the most amazing thing ever because it wasn't like anything I'd ever seen. It was all different colors all at once, but it was clear and it was pulsing on his body. And as I got closer, his hair is like crystal clear and I realized it's Jesus that I'm seeing. And, and, and I realized in an instant, he, there's so much power radiating from him that the fabric that touches his body pulses with power. And as I got closer, all I could say out of my mouth was, 
I thought I knew. I had no idea. I thought I knew. I had no idea. And he laughed, not at me, and he just said, Roy, who do you think I am? And I said, I thought I knew. I, had no, I was just undone. I woke up in bed weeping, saying, I thought, out loud saying, I thought I knew. I had no idea. And this is the Jesus who always has the power proceeding from him. But well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So Jesus says, it says, Jesus perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? He realizes something just happened. Somebody just made a draw on heaven. Somebody just made a draw on the power. Something just happened. Something different happened for somebody. Who was it? His disciples, I love their response to him. His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you? And you say, who touched me? What are they saying? They're saying, everyone's touching you, Jesus. How can you ask who it was? It was him and him and her and her and him and him and her and her. In fact, every person that's come around you today has touched you. How can you even ask who touched you? In other words, what a silly question. A ton of people have touched you. I just love how they're so smart. I just love how they've got everything figured out. Kill and eat. No, I'm not going to do that. That's unclean. Good thing I'm here to remind you, Lord, of what you said in the past. If it were not for me, I would have got up and sinned and it would have been your fault because rather than understanding that the Word will never contradict itself, so if He Himself is not tempted and, and cannot be tempted and does not tempt us with sin, then if He's calling Peter to do something that was sin, the minute He says to do it, it no longer is sin because He can't tempt us to sin. It's just a quick understanding. I mean, in an instant, everything can change when He speaks. And so they say to him, how can you ask us? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And I love this. And this bothers me all at once when I read these verses. Because there was a time in my life where I honestly believed that just whatever God wanted to happen would happen. And that there was nothing that a man or a woman or a human being could do that affected that in the least. And then I run face first into the words of Jesus looking at a woman who thought to herself, if I do this, this will happen. Jesus never once said to her, if you touch my cloak, you'll be healed. She didn't have a Scripture verse to quote. It says, she thought to herself. She put faith in something that she was about to do. And how many people do you think that brushed against Jesus that day were sick or tormented or needed something, needed a touch from heaven, could have used the power of God that day. Why is it that the power that proceeded from Him, in other words, it was always there. It's not as if in that moment the power came just to accomplish that one thing. It says the power that was proceeding from Him went forth. 
In other words, the power that was always there, the same power that was there when every other person who casually brushed up against him was proceeding from him the entire time as he walked through that crowd, yet there was only one person who he felt the power actually go out of him and make a difference and change their lives. And it was the woman who said, if I just do this, I will be made whole. And she grabs a hold of him. And the power flows out. And it says, and instantly she felt in her body that she had been healed of her affliction. And then Jesus looks at her and says, your faith. You believing and you acting on what you believe is what made you well. I don't know how much clearer he could be. It, it's, it's not even like gray. Like There's some things in the Word that are just, I don't know. You know, we have this tension. There's this paradox. And there are some things that are like that. And you know, the, the longer I, I follow Him and, and the more I learn, the more I find myself saying, I don't know. Not feeling like I have to have an answer for everything. Just if I don't know, just saying I don't know and not feeling like a, a, an obligation to speak where He hasn't spoken to me. That's okay. But then there's some things that I can look in the Word and go, well, I know that. I know that every single person who casually brushed up against Him that day without intentionally reaching out and grabbing a hold of Him received nothing from the One who had everything. I know that if we're not careful, we could casually brush up against Jesus all day long and call it Christianity. And think that because we're in a crowd of people that are surrounding Him, that we're receiving what everybody else is receiving. And that if He wants me to have it, I will. So if I don't have it, He must not want me to have it. Big problem with that. Jesus looked at the woman and said, not because of what I wanted. The power was already there. It proceeded forth from me. It, it was proceeding as I walked through this thing. He looked at her and He said, not because I wanted it, not because my Father said that He wanted it, but your faith, woman, your faith has made you whole. Because you believed. You grabbed a hold with intention. And you said, if I just touch His garment. And sometimes we're so worried about having all of our theology squared away and being able to explain everything, we forget the fact that inside of Him are all mysteries. Meaning if we want to go after Him, we're going to have to embrace the fact that there's a lot of mystery. We're going to have to be open to the fact that maybe there's more than what we understand and that He actually wants to do above all we could think or ask. So there's things He wants to do in my life that are above my ability to think of them. And if I restrict myself to only the things that I can think, I'm, less, I'm, I'm, I'm eliminating a lot of things from my life that He wants for me. And my mind gets in the way of me receiving because I have this theology that so keeps me in a place of not receiving because I can't receive something that I don't understand. And if I don't understand it, I won't believe it. And if I don't believe it, then I won't receive it. It's that simple. James says it. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, who's he talking to? Any of you. You look at it in the Greek, it means any of you. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of the Lord who gives liberally to all men. But, see, if it just ended there even, that would be like, well, you know, I, yeah, there's a little bit required on me, like I have to ask for it. But I mean, you know, Jesus said you have not because you ask not, so I can understand that. But James doesn't stop there. He says, but... 
And then he gives a condition. And and when this gospel has been preached rightly, that there's no strings attached with God, that he gives freely. And that is true when we're talking about the gift of salvation. But there's some requirement on my end for some of the things that are promised to us. You know, there are so many places in the Bible that say, if you, then I. If you, then I. I mean, here's a big one. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. He doesn't need you to open the door. When the disciples were hidden in a room for fear, he walked right through the wall. So what is he saying? I'll honor you. And if you open the door, I'll come in. I'm, I'm at the door knocking. I want to come in and be with you. I want to spend time with you. I want an intimate relationship with you. But I'm not going to force myself upon you because I love you and forcing myself isn't love. We have a word for that in this world. And it's not love. And that's not who He is. He said, I'll, I stand at the door and knock if any man hears my voice. Opens the door. I'll come in. And he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of the Lord who gives liberally to all. In other words, without reproach. He says, without reproach. He doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, you're so foolish. I can't believe you don't know that already. Okay, I guess I'll give it to you. No, he says liberally. Like he loves to give this stuff. With no reproach. There's no sadness attached to it. There's no sorrow attached to it. No suffering attached to it. It's not something that you have to like, you know, some people in, in certain uh, theologies believe in, in just this like, just this, this abasement of the body where they treat themselves harshly and they think that it makes themselves pleasing to God, you know, and there's even people who actually get on their knees and whip themselves with whips because they believe that that's going to cause them, that suffering makes them worthy to receive from Him. And James says, listen, it's without all of that stuff. There's only one thing that's required. But when that man asks, he must believe that he has what he asks for. Otherwise, he's like a man tossed to and fro in the sea, unstable in all his ways. Let that man expect to receive what God wants him to have because God will give it anyways. See, if it said that, we could just fold up our Bibles and we could say, we've arrived when we got born again. And from here on out, whatever God wants me to have, I'm going to have. And it doesn't matter what I do because there's nothing that I can do. But it doesn't say that. It says, let that man receive nothing. Let him not receive something that the Lord delights in giving. So let this word challenge us. Rather than trying to bend Scripture to fit something that makes us comfortable where we are, let's allow ourselves to be uncomfortable. To say, God, like I know there's more because when I read Your Word and I see what Jesus... Jesus said, if any man believes in Me, the things I do, he will do in greater. And we try to make the argument about the greater. And the devil loves us to argue about what the greater things are because we take our eyes off the fact that He said, the things I do, you'll do. Like, let's start when we see all of that, then we can start having a discussion about what the greater things are. 
when we're actually doing the things that he did. He said, if you don't believe in me, at least believe on account of the miracles. If you don't believe the words that I say, at least believe because of the miracles. And I tell you the truth, the things I do, you'll do and greater things because I go to the Father. And then we get over here arguing about what the greater things are, forgetting the fact that he said, the things I do, you'll do. Let's start there. Let's start with what we know. What did he do? He said what he came to do. He came to heal the sick, make the blind see, preach the gospel of the kingdom, the good news to the poor, declare the favorable year of the Lord. All those things, that's what he said, I came to do. Those are the things we read in the Bible. When I read the Bible and I read through the book of Acts and I read through the the history of the early church and I read through Jesus' life and they all look very similar. Because they're doing the things that he did. Then I start trying to figure out what the greater things are and everyone's got an opinion about that. How about we keep our opinions to ourselves until we're actually doing the things he said we would do. Then we can start having opinions about what the next things are. If I tell my kids, listen guys, I want you to clean your rooms, and then after that I'll have more chores for you. If they spend their time in the living room arguing about what I'm going to give them to do after they clean their room and don't actually clean their room, they're not getting anywhere. And they're never going to get to the next thing because I'm waiting for them to do the thing I told them to do. And so we sit around in the living room arguing about what he's going to tell us to do next and neglecting the very things he called us to do. And then we make our experience, Lord at the expense of His Word. We say, well, I used to believe that, and then this happened. How do you used to believe something that He spoke? How do you used to believe that He said, your faith made you whole? How do you used to believe that He said, if any man would come after Me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. And the same Jesus who said that, then later said, the things I do, you'll do, and greater things. You know, we make it all about healing and all this stuff, and that stuff's awesome. We make it about preaching the gospel, and that stuff's awesome. How about this? How about Stephen? How about Stephen doing the things that Jesus did? Standing in front of a crowd of people who have murder in their hearts and stones in their hands and all he can think of. And see, if that's us, I promise you, we just talked about this, if that's us, we've got a list of reasons why all those people are wrong, and we're hoping that they get theirs. And he's looking at them and all he can think is, I want to spend eternity with every one of you. So Father, don't... What's he saying? He's saying right now, they don't understand. If they knew what I knew, they wouldn't do what they're going to do. It's the same thing with Jesus. Jesus is on the cross looking out at the very people who killed Him. And what's he saying? They don't know what... What's he saying? God, don't let this keep them from spending eternity with us. How about, how about we start there with the things that He did will do? How about loving our own life, not unto death? How about laying our life down and saying, I'm not the most important one in every conversation that I'm having. And that I gave up the right to hold something against you when I asked Him to give up His right to hold something against me. And that I never again have the right to hold something against somebody and want to see them pay because I asked you not to hold my sin against me and I let Jesus pay for what I deserved. See, if the world if we would do that, what if we just did what if we like started there? Yeah, look, I, I, we're, we're going to be we're starting a series talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit and the, and 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 the gifts of the Spirit and all that stuff. That stuff's all awesome. 
But the truth of the matter is, it says if we have any of those things, which it doesn't say it's bad to have them, but we have not love, what? What is this saying? Basically, you're going to go around and use your gifts to justify your position of no love against people. If you don't have that first, it's worthless for you to have gifts. Not it's worthless to have gifts, it's pursue love yet earnestly. In other words, one doesn't come at the expense of the other, but one should be there before the other can be added to it or you're going to cause a problem. And we've made it one or the other. Well, what about, he said, pursue love. He did. And then the very next sentence said, and yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts. In other words, don't think that one comes at the expense of the other. Well, I just want to love people. What if one of God's way of loving people is using a gift in your life to touch them the way Jesus loved people and touched them through gifts? So Stephen's standing there. What does he do? He's got them in front of him. And look what comes out of his mouth. He says he began to preach to them from the beginning, explaining to them the Scriptures. What's he doing? He's trying with his last breaths. He's not justifying himself. He's not telling them to put the stones down. He's not telling them that what they're doing is wrong and that it's murder and if they don't repent, they're going to go to hell. He doesn't waste any time with that. What's he saying? If there's one thing they hear from me, it's going to be the Gospel. How many times have we allowed ourselves to be dragged into arguments, be dragged into offense, and be dragged into bitterness, and all we can think about when we're talking to people is making sure they all know that we're right and that other person's wrong, and really we're wasting precious time that we could be preaching the gospel by the way that we live and the words coming from our mouths. It's quiet in here. (laughs) Well, trust me, it convicts me. Because you say to a room full of Christian people, especially people that are Spirit-filled, Jesus said the things I do, you'll do and greater things. And everybody cheers because everybody starts thinking about the miraculous stuff, which is the context of what He said. So if you don't believe the words I say, at least believe on account of the miracles. And I tell you the truth, the things I've done. So Jesus put it in that context. So it's okay to think that way. But here's the other thing he said. He said, first, you can't even come after me until you've denied yourself. What's he saying? You're the first step in actually walking in anything that I walked in is to love other people more than you love yourself and to love your own life, not unto death. Once you've done that, then you can start following me and then you can walk into all these other things. And we're like, well... Yeah, the reason that, 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 that we don't see that stuff nowadays is because of what people have taught. And some of that's true. And, you know, we've taught that it's done away with. And some of that's definitely true because if people don't believe something, you know, if someone would have came along to that lady, think about this. Just think about the travesty of this. Think about if someone would have came to that lady and they would have heard her say what she was going to do. And she said, I'm going to go get to Jesus. I'm going to touch his garment and I'm going to be healed. And someone would have said to her, where's that in the Word? What makes you think that'll happen? I had a friend who believed that. He grabbed a hold of a garment. All he got was thread underneath his fingernail. We do this. We can laugh when we put it in a setting 2,000 years ago, but we do it today. Prove it. Well, 
The truth of the matter is, is most of the stuff that people ask you to prove, if you know the Word well enough, you can actually prove it. But here's the point. A lot of times, people don't know. They just have a relationship with Him. They don't know the Bible like a biblical scholar, and they haven't been taught all these things that are wrong that they read in the Word are right. And then someone comes along, and they're just genuinely excited about the Lord, and the first thing we want to do is make sure that they have all of their theology squared away, because you know, brother, that can get dangerous if you get out there and you start saying those things. What about trusting the Spirit of the Lord that drew them to keep them? Look, I'm all for correcting and all that stuff, using the Word. And you know, if you have a relationship with people and you hear them say something, it's not biblical, you know, bring the Bible out and tell them, like, hey, you know, actually, you might not want to say that. He actually is the only way to the Father. Right? But let's make sure that in doing so, we don't crush people's zeal and their excitement and that we don't have something in us that isn't okay when we see something in somebody that we don't have. Because a lot of what we call corrective is actually critical. And it's people who don't have something wanting to snuff it out of people that do. Because if they, someone else has it and I don't, then I have to ask myself why I don't. I mean, it's, you find the disciples did it, so it's not like anyone's immune to it. Keep reading in Mark chapter 9. Little boy comes, can't cast the devil out of him. His disciples are arguing with the Pharisees. Jesus comes down, casts the devil out of him. They're upset. Why couldn't we? He says, because of your unbelief. I tell you the truth, this only comes out by praying and fasting. Next thing that Mark writes. And the disciples came to Jesus and said to him, Lord, we saw some people casting demons out, and they weren't one of us, so we told them to stop. What are they saying? They did something that we couldn't do, so we told them not to do it because if they do it, then we have to ask ourselves why we can't. And rather than be humbling ourselves and asking them how they were doing, it says they were casting demons out. Not they were trying to. It says they actually were casting demons out. People were being set free, and yet their lack of knowledge and their lack of understanding and the lack of the fruit in their life drove them so crazy to see someone doing something that they couldn't do that instead of finding out from them how they were doing it, they just said, you can't do that. I know that nobody in this room has ever said stuff like that to people, but there's a lot of people listening on the internet that could have fallen into that trap. So bear with me as I talk to them. The disciples did it. There's a good chance that it could happen to us. What keeps that from happening? Humility not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Being able to just go to somebody and say, hey, um, I saw you doing this. And you don't, you're not one of us, so you don't have the same teaching that we do, but it's very obvious that when you use the name of Jesus, the demons respond and they go. I just tried that a week ago, a few days ago. We tried to cast a demon out of a little boy and it just got worse. He flopped and thrashed all over the ground and, and, and we couldn't cast it out. And Jesus had to come and He did it. And then when we asked Him why we couldn't, He rebuked us. And so, I'm just curious. Like, Would you teach me? How are you doing that? Pride rises up. 
We start looking for the reasons that they can't rather than asking for the reasons they can. And let me ask you this. What do you think happened to those people that the disciples told to stop? Hopefully, they didn't let what man said shape what they believed more than what God had obviously showed them. Hopefully. And hopefully they kept doing what the disciples told them they couldn't. And hopefully they didn't start a church and start teaching people based on the error of some prideful men that you can't do that if you're not one of the apostles. Because that could happen. That could have so easily happened in that moment. Those men who were actually doing something because they looked up to these men because they walked with Jesus could have let what was said to them trump what they had actually experienced in God. And they could have changed what they believed based on the word of men. And they could have let that faith and that belief be snatched from their hearts. And they could have actually begun to then pass that on in a teaching to other people and say, we learned from the disciples. They actually walked with Him. Just because they walked with Him doesn't mean they are Him. Just because they've been walking around Him longer doesn't mean that they know things that you don't. They could. But that's not a guarantee. What does He say? What's He say? He said, I give you all authority. It wasn't a question of what He said. It wasn't a question of if they had the authority. He said, because of your unbelief. He didn't say because my father didn't want the demon cast out. He didn't say because it wasn't his time. He didn't say because he wanted to be glorified by that kid struggling and, and, and suffering for a little bit longer so that I could come walk down off the hill and prove something. He didn't say any of the things that we so flippantly say to people when that question gets raised because we feel the need to have an answer. He turned and looked at them and said, because of your unbelief, Maybe we would do well to consider that quite possibly there's a chance that if we were to ask Him the same question, He might give us the same answer He gave them. Or are we positive that there's less unbelief in us than there was in His disciples? In the apostles? Are we sure? We're ready to make that statement. This isn't condemning us. It's not a condemnation. It's, a, it's, a, it's an invitation into what's, what's actually available because Jesus said you couldn't because of your unbelief. Meaning what? If your belief was right, you can. 
And we get so beat up and condemned by the enemy for doing the best that we knew how and not seeing the result that we thought we would see that we would tell ourselves it would be better not to believe that than to ever experience that disappointment again. And then we, make a, a, we, we plant a stake in the ground right there and that's as far as we're willing to go because we don't want to risk being disappointed again. And all we're saying is, is my experience is more pertinent to me and my experience determines what I believe more than the Word of God. And so right here on this ground, I'm going to make a, a church, I'm going to make a doctrine, I'm going to make a theology based on my experience, and I'm no longer going to allow myself to be challenged by the Word because it's more comfortable to stay here than it is to be challenged and continue to grow. Because if I just stay right here, I'll never have to be disappointed again. I mean, I, I, look, that's, I don't, this message wasn't what I was planning to preach, but it's what God wants me to say today. Let's be challenged by the Word and let's not settle. Let's not be casual and just walk around and bump up in against Jesus and have the attitude that, well, if He wants me to have it, I will. No, He wanted everyone. It says it was His will that none would perish. He takes no delight in suffering. Meaning what? Meaning that same power that flowed into that woman who grabbed a hold of him was available for every single person that casually rubbed up against him if they would have just believed, put faith in it, and grabbed a hold of what he was offering. But one woman, one woman said, I'm not going to be okay not being okay. Listen, she was determined. It said she spent all she had. What is that saying? It wasn't this casual thing. She didn't wake up in the morning and go, you know, I I just, I don't know. I mean, it's not that bad. I guess if God wants me to be healed, I'll be healed. But if not, it's, it's okay. No, she was tired of it and she hated it. And it's not just healing. Listen, there's things in our lives that God wants us to make war against and to hate and to say it's not okay anymore. It doesn't matter what it is. Why? Because He said you're holy. He called you something. Meaning what? The invitation is there. The ability is there. Now all it takes is what? Me actually grabbing a hold of it and believing that it could be true for me. And not being okay talking of stories of other people. But saying, I want stories to be told of what I did on this earth through Him. I want a legacy to be written. I want our family's legacy to be this. That we chased after God and we pursued Him. We grabbed a hold of Him at all cost. Abandoning everything. Or we could just be casual. And we could be one of the people in the crowd. We could go home And we could actually, if we're not careful, allow our hearts to become bitter against Jesus because we went there with the same disease as that woman and yet she got healed and we didn't, but we were there and we touched Him too. And then we could decide that maybe He didn't really mean what He said He meant, that really what He meant was, you're favored and you're special and I did that for you because I chose you and it was my will to do that. And twist His words up to mean something that it didn't so that we can be comfortable where we are rather than allowing the Word of God to make us uncomfortable to the point that we say, if that's what He said to her, then that's what He would say to me. I'm going to go grab a hold of Him myself. I'm not going to listen to testimony after testimony of other people and have nothing but disappointment myself. There's something I'm missing. There's something I don't know, but I'm going to find it. Because he said when he comes, the Spirit of truth, he'll lead you and guide you into all truth. All truth. 
So I'm just going to close up with this. I just want to challenge us. Next week, we are going to get to the, to the message I was going to preach today, which is talking about um, being filled with the Spirit. And, and there's this thing of, you know, well, well, the Bible says that everyone who's born again has the Spirit of God, which is totally true. And I'll just give you a little short segue into this, because I, I think God's speaking this message to us today so that we don't ever go into this teaching with the attitude of whatever He wants me to have, I'll have. And if, he, if I don't have it, it's because He doesn't want me to have it. Because it does say the Spirit of God gives gifts to those as He wills, but it also says to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, meaning what? Maybe His will is determined by the desire in your heart. Because the Scriptures don't oppose each other, they confirm each other. The same man Paul that wrote that God give, the Spirit gives gifts to those as He wills told us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, meaning what? There must be something connected with our desire and His will. I know, I was excited about that. John chapter 20, verse 19 says, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when He had said this, He showed them both His hands and His side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said again to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent Me, so I also send you. And when He had said this, He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Here they are receiving this Holy Spirit and becoming born again new creations in Christ. But then, if we forward in the timeline to Acts chapter 1, verse 3, says, to these He also presented Himself alive after His suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait for what the Father had promised, which He said, you have heard from Me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What? So you're telling me He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then He said, go somewhere and you'll be baptized by the Spirit. And that's when the power of God will come upon you and don't leave until it comes. And I know there's been so much teaching that's taken one instance of how that happened and made a theology out of it. And the truth is, there's a lot of different ways that that happened in the Bible. Some people were filled by the Spirit of God and then baptized into Christ. Some people were baptized into Christ then filled immediately with the Spirit of God. Some people had been baptized into John's baptism didn't even know there was a Spirit available. Some people believed and were baptized into Christ. And it says, and when the elders heard that they believed, they sent two apostles down to pray for them and they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. There's so many different ways that it happened. But here's the common denominator with all of them. It happened. And because we've, because we've wrongfully made a theology out of one experience and said this is the way it must be, we've excluded all the other ones and we've turned so many people off from it. And I just want to go through every single example of it. We're going to talk through it and then we're going to actually believe Him and take Him at His word. So Father, we thank You for who You are, God. We thank You just for, for what You're inviting us into. To step out of casual Christianity and to grab a hold of Jesus. To never settle and say, well, I guess I'll have what you want. But to say, God, I know what you said you want for me and I'm going after it. I just thank you for that. I thank you for, for stirring an excitement in our hearts, God. For what could happen in this city if we would truly live with our eyes fixed on you. Dead to ourselves and alive to Christ. 
filled with your spirit and walking with no other mission in this world but then to see people know you and believe you and receive all that you have and all that you died for them to have. To lay our lives down so others may pick theirs up and do the things that you said starting with loving others more than we love ourselves. Where when someone stands before us with murder in their heart and stones in their hand, all we can think is, I want to spend eternity with them. God, don't let this stop it. And love our own lives, not unto death. In little things, God, and in large things. In all things, loving our own lives, not unto death. No longer being the most important person in every situation and in every conversation. But esteeming others more highly than ourselves making ourselves like Jesus of no reputation and laying our lives down to see others pick them up. I thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.